You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. Joining me today on the show is Dr. James Ehrlich, who has developed advanced coronary risk assessment programs in four U.S. cities. He currently is the chief medical officer of Atherotech, the Birmingham-based company that brings us the VAP lipid test. He is a clinical associate professor in the endocrinology division at the University of Colorado School of Medicine and also serves as an adjunct assistant professor of medicine at the George Washington University School of Medicine. James, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Larry. I'd like to talk today about common misconceptions that occur in coronary risk assessment and the practice of lipidology. James, we all know or we, we should know who's high or low risk for cardiovascular disease in our practices, but where do you think we're kind of screwing up? Well, I think in general, physicians in an office-based practice are relying very heavily on epidemiologic studies that's on risk factors. And what happens is that the individual who has a heart attack, 62% of them only have zero to one major modifiable risk factor. So these are not train wrecks. These are individuals like you and I who you know, might be a little overweight, might have one abnormality, and yet these are the people that wind up in coronary care units. And so I think it's a humbling experience. I think physicians have very little information at their fingertips in an office practice of who's really at high risk and who can be reassured that they're low risk for cardiovascular disease. All right, so I want to assure my patients and myself that they are low risk. So what do I do? What is the best test or best series of tests I can do to confirm that? Well, I am one of the many plaque imaging enthusiasts. We, we help develop a few societies in atherosclerosis imaging. And our group generally believes that you need to look directly at the heart, coronary arteries, or at other arteries, and look for the presence of disease. Early disease predicts late events much better than risk factors, just like osteopenia predicts osteoporosis left untreated or cervical dysplasia predicts cervical cancer. So those of us who believe in what's called the SHAPE program, screening for heart attack prevention, believe that you should do in middle-aged adults, unless they're extremely low risk, you should consider very, at the very first doing some sort of atherosclerosis test and then if it's positive, then look at risk factors and decide how to modify them. I can tell you, in my practice, I do subscribe to the same theories as you, and I, I do a lot of carotid studies. And when I have that patient back and I show them their carotids and I show them either a chunk of plaque sitting there in a 40-year-old guy or even just a thickened irregular endothelium, they are motivated and they will take their medicine and nothing else does it. As well. Both visualizing coronary calcium or visualizing the results of a carotid IMT test increases compliance. In fact, the study by Budoff showing that scores greater than 400 on coronary calcium have a 10 times increase in compliance with statin medications. All right, so now my patient has been diagnosed with atherosclerosis, and I have to come up with a treatment plan, and I have choices of getting a Berkeley on them, an NMR, a VAP, and it's almost like talking to the government of Iraq. You've got three split factions, 
and they all believe that they have the truth. So one says particle number is the gold standard. Another says, no, it's not. It's particle size. And I don't even know what the other one says. So where are you in terms of that discussion and or controversy? Well, as a admittedly biased employee of Afrotech, my philosophy is that the physician deserves as much relevant information as possible. For example, if you had 1,200 coins in your pocket, how much money do you have? Well, it depends on how many nickels, dimes, and quarters there exist. So 1,200 coins could be 1,200 particle numbers, could be APOB. APOB we provide is not enough. I don't think particle number is enough. I want to know how many quarters, that would be LP little a, and how many dimes, maybe IDL or VLDL. And so our philosophy at Athrotech is that the, the doctor deserves a direct LDL on every measurement and needs things like LP little a, IDL, VLDL, size and density, all that information, APOB, APOA1, which we're releasing very soon, all that information can help tailor therapy. So I wouldn't argue with the value of any of the tests that are available. We just think from a value point of view to obtain as much relevant information as possible on one sample of blood is is the way to go. You said that APOB is on its way. When is it coming? APOB is already there. APOA1 probably in the next month or two months. And APOB over APOA1, which is widely considered internationally as a very good general predictor of future events to look at the total Astrogenic burden divided by the total protective number of particles. Well, what about size? You got A, you got B, you got AB. Athrotech wants everybody to be A. So do you still think it's worth chasing particle size and, and trying to convert people with something like a niacin to, to get them to be nice and big fluffy LDLs? I think it is. I think the, the studies that have looked at arteriographic progression have shown that Patients who have pattern B will progress more rapidly in their event rates. The PLAC-1 and PLAC-2 studies have shown that these are the best predictors of events. So I think it's valuable, and I think from a teaching point of view, to actually show the patient that they're moving in the right direction when they all need some compliance when taking combination therapy, particularly with niacin, I think it's very helpful to show that they're moving in the right direction in all of their numbers, including particle size and density. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today, Dr. James Ehrlich, who is the chief medical officer of Atherotech, who brings us the VAP lipid test. He's also a associate professor at University of Colorado School of Medicine and adjunct assistant professor at George Washington University School of Medicine. We're talking about common misconceptions in coronary risk assessment in lipidology. James, most of my heart patients, I'll say all of them, are pretty much under control. This is my misconception that they're all under control because I've got their LDL at 70 and I'm done. Right. I think that's probably the most common thing that we hear from cardiology groups especially. Cardiology groups like to say that their patients are all under control. But yet 60% of them are still having events. Right. And this issue of residual risk has not been well appreciated until recently. Here's how I define control, that your direct LDL is below 100. Studies have shown that 50% of the samples that show an LDL below 100 by calculated methods are actually over 100, so there's a 50% 
So a direct LDL has to be less than 100. I got to hear you say that again, and I, I think everyone needs to hear that statistic again. Yeah. In a study of almost 14,000 patients who had coronary heart disease or CHD equivalent, their bloods were simultaneously examined by the standard cholesterol test and by a direct LDL method. 61% of those people actually had their LDLs below 100 by the calculated Friedewald equation, so those people would have been considered under control. Only 31% of those people actually had an LDL below 100. So a physician who says that my patient has a cholesterol under 100, therefore they're under control, from that point of view, may be wrong because they have about a 50% chance of not being under control. So that's one issue. The second issue is, as we know, many patients will go on to have events even though their LDLs are low. So another definition of control is that they don't show subclinical progression more than 15% per year. In studies looking at coronary calcium imaging, 93% of events occur in the group that progresses in coronary calcium more than 15% per year. This very much relates to this whole idea of residual risk that you and I talk about at lipid meetings where all the studies that looked at from a TNT and prove it, and all the studies that looked at patients who have LDLs at 70 and 65, the majority of risk still remains because there are other factors, for example, HDL and remnant lipoproteins that can still be abnormal even though you've taken care of the LDL matter. So I think cardiologists have to be a little bit more sophisticated in this area and believe that their job is not over just by putting people on statins. Let's bring up another misconception. I've done a EBCT or a coronary calcium scan, and there's no calcifications. My patient has no disease. Well, we know they do have disease because in studies of even young people in their 20s and 30s, autopsy studies and IVIS studies on transplant donors, these people have disease. But a score of zero in an asymptomatic person is very reassuring because the event rate is only 1% in 10 years or 0.1% per year. So yes, they may have soft plaque, but if you have a true zero score by EBCT, you can define this person as very low risk. Now, if the person has symptoms, it can be a different story, and so we don't use a negative score in a symptomatic patient as reassurance that they, you, you'd look at the clinical picture and they could have a vulnerable plaque. The problem generally is that physicians believe that we need to find the vulnerable plaque. We need to find the vulnerable patient. So if you have a lot of coronary calcium, you're vulnerable because you have a lot of opportunities. It, what lies under the surface that we don't see that's associated with a lot of calcified plaque that we should worry about. So this emphasis on vulnerable plaque may be overemphasized in the sense that we really just need to find the person who has a lot of atherosclerosis and then make the assumption that they probably also have plaque that's vulnerable to rupture. James, teach my audience that a normal angiogram is not considered normal, that it's a misnomer. That's right. An angiogram is a two-dimensional luminogram. It's now known that 68% of events occur in people whose worst narrowing is less than 50%. And as you know, Stress thalliums and stress echoes and all those things become abnormal at about 70%. And so the angiogram is often 
underestimates disease primarily because of remodeling, what's called the Glagov phenomenon. So as the person develops more and more plaque, the coronary arteries enlarge outwards, preserving the lumen. And so this luminogram will look normal until very, very late when finally there's negative remodeling. So it's very common for a cardiologist to say that the angiogram looked normal, and that can be an illusion because you can hide a tremendous amount of atherosclerosis. So it's non-obstructive atherosclerosis that kills most of us, and these tests that rely either on perfusion imaging like stress tests or the angiogram that relies on very significant blockage often will underestimate disease. Dr. James Ehrlich, thank you very much for coming on Lipid Luminations today. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Larry. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.